The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm here. Tommy is here. The show is always presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name and Window Nation will take really good care of you. Tommy's down in Florida for the winter. He summers in Spain. He winters in Florida. It's a really good gig to be Tom uh, Lavero. Uh, We got a couple of of very nice ratings and one very low rating on Apple. But uh, this very nice rating comes from Jerome from Southeast D.C., perhaps playing the role of Jerome from Southeast as Clinton Portis did during his days as a Washington Redskin running back. Um, He gave us five stars on Apple. Honestly, Kevin, I'm shocked that Tom didn't absolutely adore The Holdovers a film about a curmudgeonly, often misunderstood genius. Sounds a lot like a guy I hear on the podcast twice a week. Love the show, guys. Uh, Genius is a pretty strong word. What a compliment, though. Um, Not even I would use the word genius. Tom liked the movie a lot. Um, I really liked it. I, I think Paul Giamatti's got a chance to win uh, win an Oscar for that movie. Um, I'm assuming it's eligible for whenever the Oscars are. Aren't they usually like in February is, or March? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I love that movie. But I and you, you liked the movie. You you thought it was just okay. Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's just I just didn't think it was as great as everybody. I didn't fawn over it. Okay, so with that, it's, but I would still recommend it to people. Yeah. Uh, with that, this is the perfect segue into what I could not wait to tell you today. Because I actually, unlike you with me, and you've missed out on things because of it, when you give me a recommendation on something, I usually take it seriously. Um, you know, that Christmas movie that you gave me, uh, The Ice Harvest, yeah. really liked it. Didn't think it was the greatest yeah. movie I've ever seen. Uh, it's not It's a Wonderful Life in terms of Christmas movies. No, it's not. Um, but, it was, <laughs> but it was very good. But you and I think Clay, but also many others who have reached out to me, have asked me to watch Fargo. You really like Fargo a lot. You and you and Liz yeah. have watched Fargo, right? How many of the seasons have you watched? We watched all four. We started watching the fifth season, the new season, which just started this year. 
It, it, the, I mean, it's been like three or four years since season four and season five. Yeah. So we just started watching season five, and we're behind on episodes. Okay. So Tuesday night? Would it have been Tuesday night? What was last night? Wednesday night? Tuesday night. Um, just decided, uh, got back from the Maryland game, went to the Maryland-Purdue game, got back from the Maryland-Purdue game, was kind of wide awake. I hadn't eaten. It was my son's birthday that day, too. And so we, right. we grabbed some dinner, but, um, and we ate it at home, and we had cake, you know, and the whole thing for his birthday. And then he's like, you know, Dad, you know, Tom's mentioned that you should watch Fargo. You really should. And I said, great, let's turn it on. Uh, you know, it was ten thirty. Uh, the Maryland game. We left early. We we got out of there. You know, before the under four minute timeout because that thing was over. I wanted to leave even earlier. Um, so that night, I just watched the first. So you watch two- it, see, first season, season one. Well, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm watching the the season one, the Billy Bob Thornton season. By the way, I didn't right. I didn't even know until maybe this morning, that this was kind of a true de- true detective, you know, every year the cast kind of changes. I didn't realize that. Um, so I'm just yeah. watching season one. Yeah, it does, one. But, there, but there's a connection between seasons okay. from time to time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I watched the first... So I watched the first episode on Tuesday night, and then it was late, and I started to get tired, but I really liked it. Well, last, last night... I started with episode two, and I am through now eight episodes of the show. <laughs> and I, if I, if I hadn't looked at my, uh, at, at at what time it was when I was done with episode eight, which was like one thirty, I would have just kept going. But I'm like, I actually really do need to go to sleep. And tonight is the first night since early September without Thursday night football. So I can finish up season one very easily tonight. I love it. I love it so much. It's so perfect. It's such a great, what is the description? Would it be black comedy thriller or would it be? I would say black comedy, dark comedy. Yeah. Cause that's what it's, it's, it's dark comedy. It's, it's, it's like, it's like the movie in many ways. It really has the same kind of uh, style to it that the movie does. It has the same style with respect to scenery and accent and location, but it's a completely different storyline. Yeah, with completely different yeah. story. Yes. Bill, uh, Tommy, this might be Billy Bob Thornton's best role. <laughs> I mean, good. and he's got so many <laughs> to choose from, but he is yeah. so... Good. Like, I still think him playing Carl Childers in, in Sling Blades, one of the best performances I've ever seen, whenever that movie was. That's an early to mid-90s movie, I'm going to guess. He's been so great yeah. in everything, but the way he plays Lorne Malvo in this show is fucking incredible. And then the, it really I, is. And, and, and Odenkirk is great. Martin Freeman is phenomenal. And you know... Actually, you don't know this. Well, you might know this, but you never watched this. And for whatever reason, I think you have... Well, maybe you did watch it, but didn't like it. I forget. You know where he started, Martin Freeman, his first big gig, right? No. It was the original Office, the Ricky Gervais British two-season Office. He played Tim, who became Jim Halpert, you know, on the American version. And he was great. 
on that show. I've, I've told you this and many people this many times. I think actually the two seasons, did you watch that or didn't you? I forget if you did watch it. No, I did not. I think it's the best comedy, two-season two comedy ever. But I'm also a massive Ricky Gervais fan. And it's why I didn't watch the American version for so many years. You know, when you would tell me to watch it, in fact, I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, I, I've seen the real thing. I don't need to see the fake. And then when I did get into it, obviously, I thought it was incredible and it's my favorite show ever. But um, Martin Freeman playing Lester in this is so good. He's a Brit. I don't yeah. even think most people that watch this know this about him. But yeah. he, he is, is fabulous. He, he's amazing. Now, what I said before about the connection to the movie, right? there are connections to the movie. The Oliver Platt scene with the money is directly connected to the movie. Right. It's excellent. So, I mean, it's excellent. It's just, it's, it, it really is. It's really good, and, and all, all four seasons. Uh, I mean, the fifth one, like we just started, I enjoyed all four seasons. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite sayings that I use now, whenever I leave to go someplace, mm -hmm. uh, in, in season two, there's a saying that one character says, if I don't come back, I'm either dead or in jail. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I use that now. Jeez. Jeez and oofda. I mean the, the whole the whole Minnesota thing, and you know, oh, yeah, they, they have it down so perfectly, and they did obviously in Fargo the movie as as well. Um, yeah, it's re I can't well, wait good. to get back to it tonight. It's really good, and I also for Cowboy Clay, and you know he's got a rather big big game uh, coming up on Sunday. I know that he has asked me to watch it as well, so I'm giving you credit. He's, he can be very sensitive. If I forget that he was one who told me to watch something as well. So, Cowboy Clay, thank you for the recommendation. Uh, love it. Now, uh, uh, two things. Yeah. Uh, I would also recommend to you at least the first season. The next two aren't so good. I watched the whole thing. The first season of Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton. Okay. All right. Let me. Let me that, that, that's, yeah. That's, Put that down. Remind me later. Let me let me let me do one thing okay. at a time here. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. And uh, you mentioned True Detective. You know, there's a new season of True Detective that's out. I saw that, and I haven't watched it. Yeah, but the reviews are through the roof. Um, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I know. Stars Jodie Foster. Exactly, it's Jodie like Foster. In everything. That, uh, that's what I was thinking. I because I, I saw the the previews and I saw that it was Jodie Foster. Yeah. So I'm really psyched up about looking at that. Yeah. Because season one of True Detective is the greatest television I've ever seen. It's awfully good. All right. Well, uh, Fargo, for those who haven't seen it, the television good, good, series good. is, I think it's one of those that you're just, you're going to watch episode one and then it's going to be hard to turn it off. Um, now, this was not, correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, the, the Coen Brothers movie is the inspiration, but I don't think they wrote this because I think I was trying to. But was, they are they are the producers. They're I the think. producers of it, but it was not their writing of the show. I don't no. think. Yeah. No, but they have. But they, obviously, they have some creative control involved in it. Right. I mean, this is one of the reasons I didn't watch it for a long time because 
I didn't want to, I didn't want to like sully the movie the the, the movie yeah, which you know is, the yeah. movie was so good I didn't want to insult the movie by watching the TV show yeah you know because mo- it's very rare that those things really match up in quality there's been the odd couple there's been mash but other than that there's not that many but this one this one matches up this yeah. one does not embarrass the movie in any way, shape, or form. No, it's really, really good. Um, all right. Uh, you know, I mentioned Clay, and this is a big week. And I had um, I had our good friend Michael Phillips, who now writes for your newspaper on radio today. I love Michael. Yes. He does such a good job, and he's such a good guest. And um, we just started talking, and I'm like, you know, you, you put yourself into a Cowboys fan, um, uh, you know, in, in, into a Cowboys fan head right now. Cowboys fans head right now this is a pressure pressure game the downside of losing this game is maybe unrecoverable for Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott I I would agree if if I would agree if they lose to Washington as 13 and a half point favorites and they lose the two seed and the possibility for two home games. Because really, the progress the Cowboys need to make is not winning a Super Bowl. Like that's, you know, that's 20th century discussion. They have to win more than one playoff game. That's the progress for this group because they can't win and haven't won more than one playoff game in forever. And so the easiest way for them to do that is to beat Washington win the division, be the two seed, and be guaranteed two home playoff games if they win the first one before an NFC title game might, which, you know, it would look like it's going to be played in San Francisco. Um, But losing this game and falling back to the five seed and then potentially losing to Tampa in the first round, oh, my God. And so we started to talk about – Michael just asked me, he goes, what percent chance do you give to Washington winning this game? And I said, look, it's the NFL. And the good news for Washington fans is they're going with Sam Howell. They're not going to go with Jacoby Brissett. Um, now, maybe Jake Fromm would have been better, more on that coming up in, in a moment. Yeah. But, but, I, uh, but, but they're going with Sam. I, I said 10%. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. But the 10% for me, and Michael also said the same thing, is more about like the Cowboys choking. Like imagine you get to the fourth quarter and it's 17-17. I mean, we have seen the Cowboys tighten up with this particular group and gag a little bit. And so I you if you're a Cowboy fan, man, you know, this game, it's not the same in terms of the stakes, et cetera, and and the unrecoverability of of it for for some key members. And that that may be an exaggeration. But I think back on 2016 when Washington had a really good football team offensively in 2016. They'd gone to the postseason in 2015, had won the division, and all year long they really looked like 
except on defense, they looked like a playoff team. You know, they beat Green Bay on that Sunday night, hammered them. They played that game on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys that was just an incredible back-and-forth game that they lost. The Cowboys, you know, that was the Zeke Elliott rookie year and Prescott's quarterbacking them, and they were 9-1. and And then all they had to do was beat the Giants in the final game of the year at home the Giants were a playoff team, but they were they had nothing to play for. Now they did not rest right. their starters. They played Eli right. Manning um, in that game. They played their starters, but it was very much kind of a vanilla attack. And as the game went on, and they fell behind ten nothing at halftime, I think it was, and then the game just was super tight in the fourth quarter. You could see. The crumbling, including you know who, who crumbled a little bit. Now, I've me- I've mentioned many times that game was not solely on Kirk. The defense was horrendous in that game. Uh, they 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 gave up. I think it was 175 yards rushing, something like that. 120 of them in the first half when they fell behind. They couldn't get off the field in the game against a giant team that was basically playing vanilla uh, offense, but. If you get something like that on Sunday where it's close going into the fourth quarter, look, I, I think Dak's had a hell of a year. I think CeeDee Lamb has exceeded all of my expectations. I thought he was a good receiver. I didn't even think he was better than Terry McLaurin. He's much better than Terry McLaurin. He is a true elite receiver. But uh, they've had some good play players this year. They've had some very good games, but I could see them in a 17-17 fourth quarter game tightening up. What percentage chance do you give Washington? I'm going to say 11%. A little bit more than just me. To be one, just be 1% over. Because, look, like, like you just said, I, and I've always said there are two franchises in the NFL that have the aura of self-destruction that, that surrounds them. One is Washington. And the other is Dallas. They are they are a franchise that is that self destruction is usually their mo. You can count on it yeah. generally, even when they're good, they find a way to to self destruct. So that that's still there. That still exists. It's ownership. They don't have new ownership, right? Yeah, it's it's still Jerry Jones in charge. So that self destruction gene it still exists. So I mean that wouldn't surprise me. By the way, the game you mentioned, that the uh, the uh, Washington Giants game, it was after that game that I wrote a column saying your buddy uh, Jay Gruden should be fired for that after that loss. <laughs> yeah, they were not. Um, that was really they weren't ready pain- to play. It was really painful. Uh, you know, I just pulled yeah. up the box score from that game. The Giants rushed for 161 yards. Sorry, I was a little bit off on that. Um, but you know, they had Paul Perkins as their number one running back. He averaged five yards a carry, rushed for a hundred yards, uh, in a vanilla offense. Eli threw for a buck 80, no picks. Um, they, they, they gave up a lot of third downs. Washington rushed 15 times for 38 yards. Um, but Kirk threw, you know, a back breaking pick at the end. You know, it was thirteen ten. They were driving for either the game tying field goal or the game winning touchdown, and he threw you know an absolute crushing pick to to Rogers Cromartie. I think it was right. It was I think it was Rogers Cromartie who had that pick um, at the end of the game. But Dallas has not won two playoff games in a postseason 
since the last time they won the Super Bowl in 1995. I mean, Washington has not won more than one playoff game in a postseason since the last time they won the Super Bowl, which was 1991. Now, Dallas has been a much more successful franchise, and they've been to the postseason a lot more than Washington. Washington hasn't won a playoff game, a game in 18 years. It's crazy. In fact, Tommy, today might be the 18-year anniversary of Washington's last playoff win. Now that I think think of it, I'm going to look up the date because I think it may have been January 4th. Um, they no January 7th. January 7th was the last in 2006 was the last time Washington won a playoff game. Anyway, I just think. Look, I hope Dallas comes out and smokes Washington from the beginning. I don't want that drama. I want the number two pick. Worst case, number three pick. Uh, and I think that there's a chance that, that 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 happens. But if this game is tight like it was with San Francisco on Sunday at halftime, I could see Dallas tightening up for sure. Okay. Uh, do you think the owners we, – we, we have no idea what the owners think. Maybe you do. I don't. Uh, but uh, if the owners are, are, are thinking smart – they must have full confidence that Sam Howe can lose this game. So this is interesting to me. A couple of things that I know and a couple of things I'm just wildly, recklessly speculating on, all right? <laughs> what I do know is that Jacoby Brissett was legitimately hurt last week. There were people that thought, oh, Brissett did what Taylor Heineke did last year. No, he was hurt, um, was not moving well at all. Uh, and they tried him, you know, on the field Sunday, and it just didn't work out. So last week, you and I discussed the idea of Josh Harris getting involved, and it would be completely acceptable if Dallas came to Washington with nothing to play for. And there was a, a risk of winning an absolute meaningless game in crushing their draft position. And we both agreed that that would be an acceptable time for Josh Harris to say, hey, I'd like to see some guys on the practice squad. I'd like to see a lot of backups. I'd like to see Jake Fromm at quarterback. Yes. So yesterday, Tommy, um, oh, so the other thing that I know is that the hypothetical that we discussed last week, they were already – preparing for they already knew I had somebody reach out to me just to say they are preparing for your for your scenario they've already been thinking about that meaning Dallas coming in with nothing to play for which is good right now to me that said they would have certainly somehow gotten involved now Dallas comes in best case for everybody involved not only needing to win the game, but not just needing to win and hoping Philadelphia loses, they control their own destiny for the division title and the two seed. It's the best case for all of us. However, you still don't want to put them into a position where it's 17-17 going into the fourth quarter, and knowing Dallas, they're not the Niners, you know, they're not Kansas City in recent vintage, they could choke. You know, and they still have Mike McCarthy, and they're still prone to 16 penalties in a game to blow a game. And so um, I, with that, said yesterday when they didn't have the quarterback announcement before practice started, 
And they didn't then have the quarterback speak to the beat before practice started. As you know, that's the schedule on Wednesdays. And Ben was on with me, and I just said to him, I said, do you think it's possible that there's a back and forth going on right now between Rivera and Josh Harris, ownership, about, you know, who to play. Look, they had a lot of subs in the game last week, a lot of backups, and they're going to have a lot of backups in the game this week anyway because of injuries, because of not risking yeah. injury. Like, I don't think John Allen's going to play this week. You had two, you know, starting ta- uh, backup tackles last week. I mean, with experience, obviously, and, and Lucas. But um, you're, you'll get a lot of that anyway. You had, had a lot of that in the secondary last week. But the quarterback specifically, I wonder – and Ben's like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Well, I did try, and I reached out to multiple people to ask, what's the deal? Like, is there – did ownership – did, did Ron talk to ownership about this? I actually wish somebody on the beat had asked Ron Rivera that yesterday. I think that would have been an appropriate question. I actually texted Ben after it was over, and I said, did anybody ask him if he had any conversations about the starting quarterback with ownership? Well, nobody asked the question, but – um, I don't know. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe the answer is yes. I would think that there was probably some conversation, though. It, it makes sense to me. They understand the huge ramifications and the hurt of winning this game. And so if Jacoby Brissett is healthy, maybe there was, well, Brissett's healthy. We'd like to play him. And they said, well, we'd like to see Fromm. And the compromise was how? I don't know. I have no idea. What? Okay. Okay. Uh, the question is, though, and this is certainly a scenario, even though the kid has stood up to everything that he's, he's been given in terms of taking a beating, uh, what if there's a situation where, you know, Micah Parsons lays a big one on Sam Howe and he's got, he's, he, can't, he can't count to three? And they've got to put the backup quarterback in. Who's the backup quarterback? A phenomenal question. I was wondering, apparently Ben asked or Michael asked Ron, and they said they have not made that decision yet. And that kind of says to me also that, you know, there, there could be – this is a complete speculation – it only makes sense to me, though, if that, that an owner in this particular situation, this is where you'd want them to be involved because everybody yeah. involved on the sideline Sunday is involved for the final time. They have no yeah. vested interest in the future of this franchise. And so I think that Fromm should absolutely be the backup quarterback. Yeah. Not, yeah. O- not only... Not only that, let me throw this out to you. What if it is 17-17 in the third quarter? Put Jake Fromm into the game. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. You know, first, first, first look for Nate Sudfeld. See if exactly. you can put him in. Right. Do what the Eagles <laughs> and did. And if you can't find him, then Jake Fromm. <laughs> but, but seriously, this is... Like the Eagles did. Let's have a big boy conversation about this, people. All right? You know, like, oh, what are we doing all this hypothetical? Hypothetical? It's exactly what the Eagles did. Doug Peterson was going to be fired the next day, and Jalen Hurts was keeping him in the game. And they didn't want to win the game. It would have cost them multiple draft slots. So they put Nate Sudfeld into the game. Do you think that was Doug Peterson's decision? Or do you think it was something that was discussed before the game, maybe? I don't know if it was a call-down, 
But it was probably something that if you've got a chance to win the game, put Sudfeld in. We'd like to see him. Uh, Jake Fromm should 100% be the backup quarterback on yes, Sunday. Yes, For that I mean, very... You've seen enough of, of Jacoby Brissett coming in a football game, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And to, see, to, to know that the risk significantly goes up of, lose, of winning that game if he comes in. Yeah. So it be it's going to be interesting because if they if they say that Brissett is the is the backup for Sunday, then to me, ownership didn't get involved and they should have. Yes, the first football decision you can really hold them accountable for, I mean, because they inherited everything else. If things happened too quick after they took over, there was not enough time to make the football decisions that needed to be made with the staff moving forward. This would probably be the first one that you could hold them accountable for. I have totally been on board with Josh Harris staying out of everything. I know that he was you know, involved in the conversations and actually suggested or was in favor of trading Chase Young and Montez Sweat uh, at the trade deadline. Um, and that's fine. That's fine f- with me. But he didn't meddle. He didn't pull a Dan Snyder. He didn't fire Rivera. And it would have been a popular decision, I think, with the majority of the fans. I'm glad he didn't. Uh, I think, you know, this season wasn't going anywhere. He didn't demand that Brissett start, you know, whatever. But I think that it's an acceptable thing for him to, you know, at- look, y- you may say, well, why, why does he need to compromise with Ron on anything? If if he's really doing his job, then Jake Fromm should be starting the game in the first place. Um, it's funny because I mentioned this yesterday on the podcast. What if they basically told Josh Harris, look, to be honest with you, there's really not much difference between Hal and Jake Fromm. And the reason I say that is because Ron Rivera uh, said yesterday, Tommy, and I played this soundbite, he was asked about Fromm, and Fromm, he said Fromm's a quick decision maker, ball gets out of his hands quickly. It's everything that they've been wanting Sam to improve on. He says Jake Fromm is. And then I remembered that Jake Fromm actually played pretty well in the preseason, so much so that there was actually a discussion among some fans anyway, at least call-ins, of, of cutting Jacoby Brissett and saving money. And I told everybody, you're not going to save any money. You guaranteed seven and a half of the eight million. There's no chance they're going to cut him. And why would you cut him? He's probably the best quarterback on the team right now. Um, but Fromm actually played well in the preseason. So to, to those that would say ownership shouldn't be compromising shit with, with Ron Rivera. They own the team. Rivera's gone on Monday. If they want J- uh, Jake Fromm to start the game, Jake Fromm starts the game, and if Ron Rivera doesn't like it, he gets fired before the final game. You know, this is much more important, the future of the franchise. But I, I bet yes. you that there really isn't that much of a difference. And, th- like, the difference between Hal and Fromm probably isn't isn't the difference between Hal and Brissett. If Brissett's healthy and Ron wanted Brissett to play – and he's going with Hal because Josh Harris said we'd r- we'd rather not. We'd rather see a little bit more of Sam Hal. Well, then that's a good thing. Um, but Fromm should yeah. be the backup. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, we're going to see a lot of backups. Uh, I'm, I'm reading John Kimes' Twitter right now. John Allen, Kendall Fuller, Cam Curl, Curtis Samuel, Christian Holmes, uh, Castro Fields, who got the start last week, they're all uh, not practicing today. We're going to see a shell of the team that we've seen all year, which, you know, what does that mean? Uh, they've been the worst team in the league. You know, I made the case yeah. today on the radio show, if you think about it, that right now – Washington is the worst team in the NFL. You know, the the Panthers have, have fought here recently and been close, not last week, um, but they nearly beat Green Bay the week before. They did beat Atlanta the week before that. You know, two teams that are fighting for playoff, their playoff lives. Uh, they nearly beat uh, Tampa a few weeks ago. The Giants are fighting. Arizona just pulled off an upset. New England's really playing hard. Uh, which is why I think if Washington loses, I really do think Washington will have the number two pick because I think the Patriots will beat the Jets in what might most likely will be Belichick's final game. They've played hard. Washington right now might be the worst team in the league. I'm still going to go with Carolina. I think if they played on a neutral field, Washington might be a one-point favorite or it might be a pick I think if they played it in Charlotte right now, the Panthers would be favored. Do you know that Washington is going to be, the for the first time since 2000, an NFL team is going to be a 13-point or greater underdog at home in back-to-back weeks? That's how bad they are. Now, two good teams. Quite the legacy. Uh, I mentioned yesterday their point differential at minus 161. If they get beat by more than eight points, it'll be the worst point differential season in the Super Bowl era for them. Um, this is a bad, bad football team that we have watched this year, especially down the stretch. Uh, man, those Eagle games, and it turns out when we we were suspicious, we we thought potentially the Eagles' defense was not nearly as good in in the two Washington games as it was last year. Well, it's right. a train wreck of a defense, and. Other than those two games in the Seattle game and and the games they won against bad teams, Arizona, Denver early, uh, you know the Patriots and they beat the Falcons on the road. That that's their most Im- the two most impressive games were the two losses to Philadelphia, but they don't even look great right now. Um, yeah. Uh, the Pro Bowl uh, was announced yesterday. Washington did not have a player on the Pro Bowl roster for the first time since '93, although Montez Sweat made it as a starter for the Bears, <laughs> opposite <laughs> Nick Bosa. As a starting defensive end. Um, Twelve and a half sacks for Sweat. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get to your Eric Bieniemy column. Should we do that? Absolutely. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this segment brought to you by our good friends at Shelly's, Tommy. Tell us about Shelly's. Well, I've told you guys before that one of the one of the great things about Shelley's is you never know who's going to show up there. It can be a, a, a definite celebrity sighting scene down at Shelley's. Arnold used to smoke there. Uh, I know Dennis Rodman. Whenever he's in town, he always stops there. A lot of ball players have stopped in there. And the other night, uh, Cedric the Entertainer. Really. Was that Shelley's back room? Yes, yes. All right. So that that was very interesting. I think he's from you know? St. Louis. I'm looking that up. I think he's yeah. one of these. Yeah, a lot of and, Jefferson you know, So it's City not just me who you might run into at Shelley's back room. You could run into all kinds of celebrities there. So uh, and make make the trip. Shelley's back room, thirteen thirty one F Street Northwest, in in the district. And even if you don't meet somebody, some celebrity, I'm pretty sure you'll make a friend, at least for that night. That's how friendly that place is. You know, there's a lot of people from out of town who come through D.C. to do business. A lot of those people wind up at Shelly's back room, uh, and I wind up talking to them. A salesman from this company, you know, an inspector from this company, uh, and uh, their common bond it's the food, the drink, and the camaraderie at Shelly's. You can find out more at Shelly'sBackroom.com. Phenomenal place. Uh, all right, I did read your column uh, about Eric Bieniemy, so why don't you share uh, the overview with everybody that didn't have a chance to read it? Okay, well, it, it you know, like a lot of columns, and you know, it's just the way things uh, evolve. It, it, it evolved in part out of discussions we've already had about Eric Bieniemy. Uh, on on the broad on the uh, podcast here, and I've made my my thoughts clear. And this time, I put them down, you know, in, into print. And I was just always amazed. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, his press conferences to me are remarkably are remarkable in their own way, as Ron Rivera's are in a different kind of way. Because Eric Bieniemy can pile on a lot of words mm-hmm. and not say absolutely anything. Right. You know, and but if if you pay attention, sometimes he says something that is worth noting. And uh, a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, you know, he was asked what went wrong with Sam Howe, and in between uh, a lot of uh, words was, you know, I couldn't, I can't quite put my finger on it. And I thought, well, you know, that that's kind of the job description, isn't it? Right. You know, knowing what's wrong with your quarterback. Now, you could argue, well, he knows what's wrong with them. He didn't want to say. There's a way to say what, what your quarterback is going through without saying, I don't know. You know, I don't have a clue. You know, your guess is as good as mine. Right. So, uh, so I, I just, just to illustrate that, Sam Howell on his resume 
certainly does not qualify uh, Eric Bieniemy to get a head coaching interview. And to me, if I was running a team, after what I witnessed him take a quarterback who everyone thought maybe had, who everyone overpromised on at the beginning of the season, a lot of people did, and and basically watched that quarterback go downhill after that, where it's supposed to go in the opposite direction. You know, growth and development is not supposed to be a negative thing. This was their MO all year, and they, 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 they grew less and they developed less than when they started. And that's on the offensive coordinator, I think. Their, their, their offense, again, you can argue the schedule, you know, the defense is not as good. But the fact is that if they don't score more than a field goal on Sunday, he'll have less points in this offense than Scott Turner had in his last year. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that you wrote um, and and certainly um, used as kind of part of the conversation is that Eric Bieniemy is a known entity. Uh, he has been turned down by so many teams that it became a story unto itself. Uh, you know, the offensive yeah. coordinator for the most successful offensive team and a Super Bowl champion and a Super Bowl contending team and Matt Nagy got a head coaching job and it's Andy Reid and and there was Eric Bieniemy not getting a chance at a head coaching opportunity, not even getting a chance really at anything other than to stay in Kansas City until Washington offered him their offensive coordinator position. I know I've I've talked about this many times, but in case you've not heard me say it before, like I was completely I, I was confused uh, by much of the reaction when he was hired in February of last year about how so many people in town referred to it as this incredible coup. Like, oh my God, why did he how did we get Eric Bienemy? Why did he yeah. pick us? Well because he had no other options. I mean, it was there was no there was no big win in hiring him. We could have waited until August and hired him. Um, there was no interest in Eric Bieniemy, and like you've said many times over the years, uh, when you don't know something, you look to those of those who do know, and and you take their direction on it. And the rest of the league said no, no. No, no. So then it became an issue of, oh, it's a racial issue. He's not being given the opportunity because he's black, and yet, you know, we've had hirings of black head coaches and black offensive coordinators. And I remember pointing this out at some point over the summer when the the conversation turned in that direction. I happened to have been listening one night to um, NFL radio uh, on on satellite radio, and Todd Bowles was being interviewed the head uh, by the person on Sirius XM. And Todd Bowles, as most of you know, is the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If they beat the Panthers on Sunday, they'll be a division champion for the second straight year. Uh, and this year, actually, oddly enough, without Brady, I think they'll have a pretty good chance to win potentially a home game. It will likely be against Philadelphia. But anyway, Bowles was talking on that particular summer day about hiring Dave Canales, their offensive coordinator, and how he had gone through like countless numbers of interviews. And I actually went back and looked. He interviewed 10 people 
for the offensive coordinator position in Tampa that was available, half of whom were minority candidates. Um, and he didn't hire a minority ca- candidate, but he didn't even interview Eric Bieniemy. Todd Bowles, a black head coach, didn't even interview Eric Bieniemy. Um, nor did a lot of teams that had needs. So I thought that spoke volumes in the offseason, and I thought that it was really couched unfairly um, about why, you know, uh, A, Washington getting this incredible hire, making this incredible hire, but also that the other side of it, which was he didn't get a chance to be a head coach because because he was black. I mean, once he made himself available to be an offensive coordinator, there's only one team that interviewed him formally. Baltimore, was it was reported, was going to interview him, but then they hired Todd Munkin and didn't even interview him. Washington was the only team that interviewed him for offensive coordinator. So we move on from that, and then we get to see him in action because, you know, that's done with, and now he is the offensive coordinator, and he's got the most autonomy as a coach he's ever had. He got an assistant head coach title, and I think the performance has been very up and down. Just beyond what everybody else in football thought about him, which is uh, to me was always a red flag. The performance itself was very up and down. I don't think at t- I, I don't think he was a terrible offensive coordinator this year. I mean, he was working with a quarterback that had some talent, but was but was incredibly inexperienced. And I think he was learning on the job as well. And then on top of that, um, I think that he decided on this track to take of kind of throwing him deep into the fire and or deep in you know throwing him to the deep end and having him sink or swim because he thought that was the best way to do it i think in hindsight maybe it wasn't but it wasn't like yeah. i was against it completely as it became clear what the strategy was with him um i don't know i have no idea if he'll get a job there's no i think there's very little chance he becomes a head coach I mean, I, I don't so know do I. that he's done anything here in Washington, you know, with a, yeah. a with an offense that's bottom third of the league, and as you said, a, a young quarterback that really didn't develop and didn't get better. Actually, the opposite happened. I see him. I see him on, on people who are writing stories about possible head coaching candidates around the league. Mm-hmm. I see his name on that. It's I, and, and that's ridiculous. I don't think I think people ignored for whatever reason. I think it's still stuck in people's minds that Eric Bieniemy's been done wrong. Yeah, and I I just don't know that th- this isn't the person you hold up as the example of being wronged when he had dozens of interviews and nobody hired him as a head coach. And we're talking about owners that have hired minorities as head coaches before, so it's not like they didn't have a they, they, they were refused to hire a minority candidate. I'm not suggesting that there isn't racism in sports and even in the NFL. I just never thought it applied to Eric Bieniemy. You just saw minority candidates being hired or organizations that had hired minority candidates. 
interviewing him and moving on or deciding not to interview him. And then finally, when he became an offensive coordinator possibility after the head coach thing had worn out its its chances, one team interviewed him, Washington. I'm not sure what Kansas City would have done had Washington not hired him. Yeah, I think they would have brought him yeah. back, but I don't think he would have been the O.C., they may have given him some lofty title, not just to, to to avoid embarrassing him, but Matt Nagy was always Mahomes' guy. Now, look at the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs have not been yeah, very I good, know. you know? I know, and there's some dots that people have connected. Yeah. The enemy's not there. Right. Uh, I, I, I point that out in the column. Uh, Chris Sims, uh, NFL analyst, says that he was, uh, he was Andy Reid's enforcer yeah. on the offense there. Which I said, fine. That makes him Luca Brazzi. It doesn't make him an offensive coordinator, right? Yeah, I. It, he's he's an interesting story. Like putting all of the not getting hired, the you know, the racial stuff to the side. We got to watch him as an offensive coordinator with complete and total autonomy. Uh, he, this was his show from the beginning, and the results are the results. They weren't very yeah. good. Uh, the development of the young quarterback did not go well, ultimately, you know, uh, as as we look and evaluate all 16 games so far. I don't know why he would be a hot candidate for anything next year based on performance. I, just objectively, how, I agree. based on, based, I agree, based on the results, why would you be... But, Desperate to hire Eric Bieniemy at this point. I, I I don't see why you would. I mean, there's nothing on his resume here in Washington to indicate, uh, you know, the green flags. If red flags tell you not to do something, there's no green flags that tell you this is the guy. Yeah. Right. And by the way, the red flags. There, there were more when he was in Washington. You know, the yes. head coach coming out in three weeks into training camp, two weeks into training camp, and suggesting that players were coming to him because they didn't like the way they were being coached. Um, you know, uh, that's there were, and then yeah, there were there 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 was a red flag and that story here. Story surfaced again a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I know. Which of they, course, RG... supposedly the players went to uh, Rivera and asking him to to step in. RG3 decided that that would be the moment where he would say, uh, you know, anonymous sources, people say, uh, no, 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 the head coach said. <laughs> the head coach said it back in August. Yeah. Um, no, whatever. Uh, I mean, he wasn't the worst offensive coordinator we've ever seen. No. You know, because remember, no, I, 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 we were wondering early on, are they going to be disorganized? Are they going to... No, everything was always fairly organized. Ultimately, the bottom line is he had a young quarterback who he decided to develop in a, in a, in a certain way that was a little bit different than most young quarterbacks get developed, and it didn't really pay off. That's exactly what happened. All right. Uh, but you had to make it pay off if you were him. This was your chance. Or you had to go to Jacoby Brissett and have a, an offense that looked much better. 
with maybe better results as a team, but not that much better because the defense was a big problem for Eric Bieniemy too. Being fair, yeah, I, to him. I get that. Yeah. I get that. I mean, they're not a double-digit winning team. No, with Jacoby Brissett. No, but they're closer to eight or nine wins. Probably. All right. Uh, I'm going to play some sound for you when we come back. It was an exchange between Detroit Lions' Dan Campbell, the head coach, and a sports talk radio host in Detroit. I think it was an interesting exchange that Tommy and I will weigh in on right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. If you've been thinking about new windows, I promise you, you won't pick a better company if you select Window Nation. They'll give you a free estimate to start so you've got nothing to lose if you tell them that you heard about them from this show or from me in particular. Uh, They make all of their windows here locally. They measure each window three times to ensure proper fit, which means... When they come out for the install, they're coming one time. 96% of their installs require no follow-up service. You're going to save up to 30% on your energy bills. That means your heating bill this winter, your air conditioning bill in the summer. Uh, You are going to pay half price on the windows right now. They're offering all window styles for 50% off. And then if you want to finance your purchase They'll give you 0% interest rates for five years. So you're paying half price on the windows. You're paying no interest if you decide to finance the purchase. You're getting windows that are going to save you 30% in energy bills and make your home look nicer. And you're going to be working with a great company. Um, I promise you Window Nation will take really good care of you. It's worked out for everybody that's ever used Window Nation uh, via my radio show or podcast. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. So Dan Campbell, the head coach of the NFC North winning uh, Detroit Lions, uh, they finish up their season against Minnesota this weekend, and then they're going to host a playoff game for the first time since 1993. They haven't won a playoff game since 1991. They beat the Cowboys the week before they came to Washington for the NFC title game and lost 41 to 10. So very exciting times in Detroit and a painful loss for them on Saturday night in Dallas, a game that now has been much talked about. The the illegal touching by the receiver who claimed he had reported but didn't report as an eligible receiver, probably did report, but referee Brad Allen kind of screwed it up. And at the same time, Detroit really tried a lot of sleight of hand with sending over a player that had reported as eligible a couple of times already in Skipper and Dan Skipper. And Brad Allen got confused. He messed it up. But I personally think Detroit had something to do with messing it up as well. Um, The NFL actually sent out a memo to all 32 teams instructing them on specifically how you know somebody with a jersey number in the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 90s has to report as eligible if they come into the game. But anyway, for those of you that saw it, it was a two-point conversion converted with 23 seconds to go and then called back. And then after it was called back and Detroit's losing their minds claiming that uh, that the number 68, the offensive lineman, had reported as eligible... They walked off the five yards, which now meant that Detroit had the chance from the seven-yard line 
to change their mind and kick the extra point to tie the game, which would have probably sent the game to overtime. But instead, Dan Campbell said, F it, we're going for two again. And, and ran a play from the seven-yard line, which got intercepted, but Micah Parsons was offsides, which created a third opportunity for them. Now half the distance to the goal at the three-and-a-half-yard line to go for two one more time, and they failed on that attempt as well. So Detroit's sports talk radio host, Jim Costa, um, from I, I believe it's 97-1 The Ticket, has Dan Campbell on his show every week. I think it's uh, this guy, Costin, perhaps a co-host. And I want you to listen to the exchange between Jim Costa and Lions head coach Dan Campbell yesterday on his weekly appearance. So after that play, uh, you had said you told the offense, you're going for two on the final drive if you score. But from the seven, I mean, and looking back, like, was there a point of no return where you lay down your sword and kick the extra point? Do you regret at all the decision to go for it from the seven? Yeah, I told I told our offense. I think I I said this before, and uh, we're going for the win, and we're going to go down, we're going to score, and we're going for two, and and I wasn't coming off of that. So if it was like ten or fifteen, like a holding penalty, you still would have gone for it. No, if we're getting outside the 10, no. Okay, we we want outside yeah, the yeah. 10 every week, good on good. <laughs> we do it every week. O versus D. Yeah, I, like when you got the penalty and move no, it to go the... Go ahead and say it. Say it. Both of you. What? Say it. Say what you want to say. I think from the seven, it's a low percentage play. I think your chances of winning are lower than if you kick the extra point. I would have like would've... you would say it to anybody else. Yeah. I'm on the radio. Say it like you want to say it. Yeah. I thought it was a reckless decision. Thank you. Do, okay, I... but you don't regret it. No. So, Tommy, what did you make of the way Dan Campbell handled it and the way the show host handled it, Jim Costa? I thought it was pretty good on both sides. I thought I thought Campbell basically telling the guy to say what he really means, you know, what he would say on the radio if Dan Campbell wasn't there. And then once he did that, for Campbell to say, okay, now we got it out there. You know, and not hang up on him or something like that. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I loved how... I don't love the answer from Dan Campbell. I think actually he made a real big mistake. There's nothing. Oh yeah. Uh, I it, mean the actual yeah. act, the actual yeah. decision was was wrong. Right, and I think the yeah. show host did a, a, a really nice job of. First of all, it's not the show hosts when he has the head coach on to have an opinion about it. It's for him to ask the questions. I thought he asked the questions well. And then when Dan yeah. Campbell asked him to, you know, go ahead and say it, and he said, I think, you know, going from the seven is a low percentage play. I think your chances of winning are lower than if you kick the extra point. And then he said, well, say it like you would say it to anybody else. I'm on the radio. Say it like you want to say it. And he said, I thought it was a reckless decision. So I love the way <laughs> Campbell handled it without – a lot like yes. we have known people we have had coaches on the air that 
you push them like this and they get very, very sensitive, overly oh, yeah. sensitive, and it can become very uncomfortable. I love the way Campbell handled it. I thought the show host handled it exactly right. This was absolutely a question you've gotta you've gotta ask because it was the yeah. wrong decision by every measure. But who knows? Maybe the coach has a reason for going for it from the seven. Maybe he'd said, you know what was really interesting? You're right. The analytics say you don't go for it from the seven-yard line. However, we actually had a fourth and seven play condensed field that we loved going into this game, and that's why we went for it again. Like something like that, rather than just the emotion of we had made up our mind, we're going for the win. Well, going for the yeah. win from the from the the two-yard line is different than going for the win from the seven-yard line. But I actually loved that Campbell just said, say it like you'd say it to one of your callers or one of your co-hosts, you know? Um, yeah. And wasn't... It was good. Yeah, and wasn't it, off-put by it. It was good it. On, bo- on both of them. I, yeah. Like, you know, I don't understand, and you know, I don't understand the athletics of it, and I don't particularly care. <laughs> I don't understand this notion of that there's something wrong when you're behind, to getting the game back to even. There's nothing And then wrong having a chance to start all over again. There's nothing wrong with that. There, okay. Yeah, I, I, trust me. I mean, I, the, the, the way teams, and Detroit's one of them, just seem to be almost against field goals, against extra points, I think has been – Somebody's going to do a 2023, you know, follow up on this, and I have a feeling some of these historical numbers based on 2023 results are not going to look as favorable. Um, context is always a big part of these decisions; they should always be a big part of it. I do understand the two point analytics down 14 when you score, and now you're down eight. Um, because that, I know that that one is a little bit different because you're going to get two opportunities at it theoretically, and you do want to play to win in regulation versus overtime. If playing to win has you know an equal chance, but it, at the end of a game like that, going for two, yes. I mean, it depends. You know, do you feel like you're the inferior team? Do you feel like you've got no chance playing an extra period? Do you feel like your snapper has the yips right now and you might miss the extra point? Do you feel like, you know, you have a play that'll work? There's so many things that go into it. And I would just point out, because we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that Saturday night game on the podcast this week. I don't think we have. Maybe I did. Um, But, you know, when they did score, you know, at the end there, there were still 23 seconds left. And one of the things that you always have to understand, now 23 seconds, less than 30 is usually the break point for go go for the win versus going for the lead. I actually think 23 seconds with, you know, the other team, Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and the way they've been picking you apart a lot of the night, especially Lamb, you know, still, now you give them four downs. See, when Washington didn't go for the two in Seattle with 52 seconds to go, it was, in my opinion, 100% the right decision. Um, people, yes, well, don't, people don't take into consideration that if you go for two and make it, you've given the other team now four downs, where if it's a tie score, they only have three downs, especially if they're in their own territory, um, to move the sticks and to, to advance the ball. But um, I, anyway, I, I wanted to play that because I uh, 
uh, we've both been in okay. positions with various coaches where you got to ask that question, and the answer and the comfortable, you know, comfortability with with that conversation isn't great. I think. I, th- I think he's wrong. I think the head coach is wrong. Um, I think that game would yeah. he'd been better off kicking there and going to overtime. But anyway, um, what were you going to say? What's the most uncomfortable exchange you've had with a coach? Do you remember it? Yeah, for sure. It was the Zorn thing. It, I mean, okay. now actually, that's not true. <laughs> there is there is another one. Actually, there are another two um, that with the current coach, right? Yeah, but I can't talk about that because I, I can't talk about it. One day I'll talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that now. Um, in terms okay. of live on the radio, um, it yes. was when you and I were sitting with Zorn and they had just beaten the Rams in the second week of the season. And I asked him if he was worried that if they lost to Detroit, uh, that, that, that beating Detroit was crucial to, for him to keep his job. And if looks could kill. Remember that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He he was incredulous. We won the game. How could you ask that kind of question? I know he was so angry. And when we went to break, yeah. he was so angry. And I remember, I remember saying to him, "Look, I'm so uh, I'm sorry that question made you uncomfortable, but it's a question that for those of us that have been around here and watched this owner for the last nine years, ten years." It's part of the conversation because remember, Detroit had lost all those games in a row. They had barely beaten a Rams team that wasn't even that good that year, um, and there was a lot of talk that he could potentially lose his job if they lost to the Lions next week. Yeah. The next week, and what what particularly made that uh, unique was we were face to face. We weren't on the phone, right? And we had had a you know. We had had a decent, not actually, yeah, we had had a decent relationship with him. Like yeah. I, he enjoyed. Yeah. He, remember, he would sit with us sometimes after we were done interviewing him and listen yeah. to the show. Um, yeah. I remember, but I remember he really he he wanted to come across the table, like he really yeah. was pissed, and it it wasn't even his nature to be pissed. And then when we went to break. He was really angry. And, uh, and and I explained to him, I said, I'm sorry. That's a question that for people who have been around here, um, you know, this is what is out there right now. And I'm sorry it made you uncomfortable, but I think it was the right question to ask. And then, you know, good. Yeah. I remember that very much. There are others I remember, but that one I remember because, yes, we were sitting right across from each other and he looked like he wanted to swing at me. He was, he was never mad at me. His, <laughs> his response was always, "That's a great question, Tom." <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good question, Tom. He, he used to like say you. that all the time. Yeah, it was so fun. The only thing I ever, the only thing I ever had close to this was when we, we had Flip Saunders on. Yeah, and Flip, you know, the late Flip Saunders, God rest his soul, was a really good guy. Yeah, and uh, I liked, you know, having him on the show. But uh, this was after a game where, I think it was an exhibition game, though, where Gilbert had basically engineered the lineup so he could get the players he wanted in. Somehow through talking, through talking a guy into saying he was hurt so another guy would play, 
And he did this kind of like behind the scenes, and it somehow came out, you know, that and and basically, I said, you know, I I, I kind of grilled him on it. I said, does it does then this actually wind up making Gilbert the coach for that game, and not you? And what did he, I don't remember and this. He, Was I with his, you? To, yeah, you were with him. You were with me. I don't remember and this. To his credit, yeah, he he didn't he didn't bark at me. Uh, I don't remember what his answer was. But basically, I, I said that, you know, Gilbert was, was putting the lineup together instead of him, which was true for yeah. that game, even though it was a preseason game. I remember I remember Kyle got really mad at me um, one time when we had him on the show uh, because I did question a clock management situation at the end of a game, um, and he did not want to hear it. And uh, I... I, he was – anybody that ever had any conversations with Kyle will tell you Mike and Kyle are opposites. Like, Mike is lovely to have a conversation with. Kyle is – Kyle's tough. Kyle is definitely the smartest guy in the room and is probably the smartest guy in the room. Um, I, I also remember on the flip side, c- coaches that handled tough questions very well. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who did all the time. And I didn't think he was a great coach personally, but I really liked him. Scott Brooks was totally like he, you could ask him anything and he respected the question because remember he had some playoff teams and they had some big games actually. Yeah. Um, Randy, Randy Whitman was the exact same, but Randy also liked us a lot. Um, uh, and I think Randy always felt like, um, well, whatever. I, I think Rand, I think Randy really liked the show. I think Ra- Randy li- liked talking basketball on our show when he came on. Um, and Mike was great. Mike, now we did not do the Mike hit every week. I mean, we we you know had him obviously on the show after he was gone for what turned out to be kind of a blockbuster you know tell all interview in 2015 or whatever it was, but um, Mike was was awesome and um, yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think Andy and Zave had a great time with Gibbs 2.0. Yeah, I'll tell you what though. I, I mean, think there was some tension there. There may have been some tension there. And did, did he last on that show, or did he end up going to Doc? I forget how that worked I, out. I forget. I forget how that happened. I'll tell you what. McNa- Spurrier, on the other hand, yeah. he was fabulous. Oh, Spurrier was the best, but I wasn't even in the business then. But I remember Andy and Steve <laughs> having the best. Spurrier on every week. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I'm just trying to think if there's – there have always been some absolute lovely people um, in town and people who, you know, if you ended up having something that got a little bit awkward, would, you know, they, they, they didn't have their feelings hurt. But there were other people that were always sensitive to that. And like you and yeah. I have always said about Washington, this is not a tough sports town at all. No. Um, and I think one of the, the, the one of the things that I, I remember, you know, we've both shared probably with the PR people, certainly with the football team um, over the years, is there was always this very combative, um, you know, uh, 
position that the team took with media, especially sports talk media, especially, by the way, their flagship station, 980, for many years, which we've talked about before. But I think it was it was interesting in that you had, you know, a Pacific Northwest guy in Zorn. Then you had Mike, who had been in Denver his whole career and was beloved, and Denver's not a tough sports media market. And then you had Jay, who was coming from Cincinnati, basically, and then Ron, who was coming from Charlotte. You know, if you had had coaches coming from tough media markets into town, I think that there would have been, you know, a different feeling. And if you had had PR people, et cetera, that, it, that understood. But, man, they always, they always felt out there that the D.C. media was ruthless and relentless and so difficult. And I don't know, from my standpoint, I've never felt that that was the case. But then again, we've got the perspective of having listened to, you know, other sports talk radio in other parts of the country where it's, you know, sometimes a lot more abrasive, a lot tougher. Try Philadelphia on for size. Um, I mean, they're, they're killing the Eagles right now. On the on a oh, regular, yeah. and they were in the Super Bowl last year, and they were ten and one. They want everybody fired. Um, pretty funny. Uh, all right, let's finish up with your prediction. We'll we'll spare each other from our you heard it here first bold predictions for the week since we're running long here. Uh, but it's Thursday, and for the final time this year, Tom's prediction on Washington's Sunday game this week against the Cowboys. Okay, well, I'm going to exhibit the same confidence in Sam Howe that hopefully Josh Harris has exhibited and predict a 23-10 to 10 Washington loss Ooh, cover. On, on Sunday. They cover. They're 13-and-a-half right. point dogs. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. They cover on that. They cover. 23-10. to 23-10. to 10. Yeah. But Eric Bianami, but just barely – Squeaks past Scott Turner in total points scored for his offense. <laughs> and Ron Rivera ends his head coaching career as a sub-500 coach. That's uh, right. I wonder if that's been part of the conversation at all. I doubt it. Um, did you have... Oh, I don't doubt it. I, I, I believe every bit that that's part of the conversation. Yeah. All right. Um... Not enough for him to do something about it. All right, uh, final score prediction for the final time this year, 23-10. to 10. Tommy's got the Cowboys over Washington. And when we reconvene on Tuesday, I think we will be in full off-season mode. I mean, I, I would certainly oh, yeah. expect Ron will have been fired on Monday. Um, you know, it's his birthday on Sunday. Uh, but I think he'll be fired on Monday. And then, you know, I don't know when the new hiring will begin, but – it's possible we'll get some new names and new hires next week. I'm looking forward to this, actually. I think it's going to be really Oak interesting. Oak eternal. <laughs> well, it, you know what? It's a new, it'll be a new day for sure. Uh, and yes. we'll see how much house cleaning takes place. All right. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. All right, boss. I'm back tomorrow with Jay Gruden.